Welcome to the UCM. We're your tour guides, Zan Peters and Joe Semino. And we're going to be taking you through our humble little museum's collection. The exhibits may or may not be real, but the stories sure are. Enjoy your visit today at the Uncanny County Museum. while ago we were talking about uh in the kirk cameron film uh saving christmas highly mm-hmm. acclaimed yes oh absolutely so we were talking about the concept of viking santa claus <laughs> yes oh my yes. god and so christmas morning i'm driving with my brother we live next to a park or well my mother lives next to a park we're driving there and i see this guy shirtless, very fit, beard, long hair, power walking down the sidewalk next to the park, carrying a broadsword. Was that Santa Claus? Okay. Yeah, that's tough. I don't know. That's... Now, let me ask you this, Zan. Did he have a Santa hat on? No, that was the one thing. Mm, I don't think it was... uh, Kirk Cameron's Santa Claus wearing a Santa hat ever, or was he just no. like he looked just like uh, if uh, if Christianity was told through uh, <laughs> supernatural? <laughs> I'm gonna go with the latter on that one. Yeah. Well, like remember in Supernatural, they had there was one episode where they went after a dragon, but it was just a guy. Uh, sure. Yeah, he was—he was—he was just a human because Supernatural's budget sucks so much that they—they they couldn't. It was just a guy. He's like, I'm a dragon, and it's like you look like every other monster on this goddamn oh show. God. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah, it's like no, no, yeah. I'm not a dragon. I'm in drag. Like, come on now. Oh, yeah. oh that was oh, it. that that. That's really not nice for them to call people in drag monsters. Mm. Yeah, that is kind of actually super messed up. And you shouldn't watch that show specifically because of that. Mm. Yes, only because of that reason. Otherwise, flawless. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, welcome to the UCM Gossip Lounge. Uh, Mm. We have a very special guest today, specifically here to talk about um, Viking Santa Claus coming to us from Norway. Uh, we have very special guest Colby White. Uh, hello, it is uh, very nice to be here with both of you today. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. Um. So, uh, I mean, Colby, you're you you know you're you're an expert of history in a, in a way, the history of rocks, the history of animals that died and then became rocks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, seems relevant enough. I mean, do you do do you live near Santa Claus? Or Vikings, or both? Yeah, so um, obviously, living in uh, Oslo, Norway, I'm surrounded mm-hmm. by Vikings uh, at all at all times. Um, uh-huh. You know, constantly getting uh, accosted by great burly men with beards and horned hats. And uh, uh-huh. actually, another funny thing people don't know about Norway is about uh, half an hour, maybe an hour south of Oslo, is this little town called Drobak. 
And Mm -hmm. in that town, there is actually a post station where if you live in Europe and actually Mm -hmm. in most of North America and you write a letter that says to Santa Claus, that's where the letters get delivered. And yeah, there's actually a man there who prides himself on being the true Santa Claus. uh, And he's got, you know, I mean, I went in there one time. He has literally hundreds of thousands of letters from all over the world. And he tries his best to handwrite messages and responses to all these kids. And uh, oh my it's God. actually very endearing. Yeah. That's, That's so sweet. wild. I love that. Yeah. That's yeah. so sweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very sweet. I mean, wow. His, you know, he's, it's, it's a job, I guess. This is a job. It's true. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he gets to be Santa, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean that, that's more that's more than I can say. I'm like <laughs> I'm getting a mass I'm getting a master's degree and I just got rejected from working at Trader Joe's yesterday. Oi. Oof. <laughs> 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 yeah. Yikes. But um the the reason we are here today in the gossip lounge, mm. uh we are going to be talking about some scandals of Ooh. artifacts and fossils you know just the way that they might questionably end up in museums i mean this has happened over the history of museums you have to ask how did these things get here whether it's you know um the the louvre being filled with a lot of things that napoleon looted as he you know ran just wreaked havoc over europe Mm -hmm. uh the elgin marbles in the british museum uh from greece which you know, are, are they come into question every now and then whether or not those will ever be repatriated. Uh, a lot of Native American artifacts in um, North American and uh, South American museums. The list goes on and on and on. But we're going to keep it a little lighter today, I think. Yes? Yeah. yeah. Sure. I'm, I'm down for anything. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I we've... We've all we've all been through uh, in, in in interesting ways. I have been through different types of isolation with with both of you guys. I, I mm. you know it's um, Joe. We were locked together for two months in uh, in Italy in a in an apartment. Very true. Colby, you and I uh, worked for uh, I mean actually two months one time at a in a town of about three hundred and fifty people. Yeah, it was more emotional isolation. I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez! <laughs> oh <my God>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, bless their hearts. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yes. Yeah. What wonderful people of Ikalaka. Oh, I mean, in part, I would like to say, if anybody ever has any problem with this, the Uncanny County Museum is in part Colby's fault, and I just wanted to address that right off the top, and that's really the reason I brought him on today. Oh. Um, because we did go on a dig one time, and on that drive with uh, Colby and a friend of ours named Stu, we listened to uh, the last podcast on the left for the first time. Yes, yes. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, what, what were we listening? We were listening to the, uh, what, what's it, the Andreessen Affair and... Um, the oh God. Barney and Betty Hill. Yeah, 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 and Jean Benet Ramsey. Yes, yeah, yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. the good, the good, good boys at last pod. <laughs> yeah. Man, I guess, I guess, I guess, I have you to thank then 
for now being an, a listener as well because Zan showed them to me. Huh. Oh, oh, yeah, look at this. it's all connected. Just, it's all connected. Yeah, so it's cool. all. Well, you know, one thing that because it's been so long since Colby and I have talked, you know, since we haven't found each other uh, in in a, again in Ekalaka for you know, it's. I wanted to mention that actually after. Do you remember when we came back from that dig? We came back and that night, from driving all the way back from God, wherever the hell we were uh, mm. digging out in the middle of nowhere. Hours and hours later, we're back in Ekalaka. We make it to the museum because there's supposed to be a talk, and it was that woman giving a talk on aliens. Yes, I will never forget that. Yes, okay. Huh. And I started falling asleep because it was <laughs> criminally boring. Yeah. Oh, um, no. Because <laughs> if nothing else, I hope that when I see someone give a talk on aliens in a museum, that it it will at least be entertaining. And I was so tired and she was just talking about how like there's a sports team that has an alien as their mascot. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. So, uh flash forward about a month or so. I am in Helena watching a um a documentary called Dark Money. Uh, it's uh, being screened and there's going to be a Q&A with the producers afterwards. It's all about like the antitrust laws in Montana, how they're fighting Citizens United, how they, you know, want to keep money out of politics in Montana. You know, it, it was a great documentary, but also, you know, it's like it's a little dry. You got to follow a lot of really depressing statistics and people, you know, Yada, yada, yada. Anyways, so then they're having the Q&A after. I'm sitting there in the audience. This woman stands up, and I can only see her from the back. Long, white hair. And asks this question that really goes absolutely nowhere. And just there's this notable silence from the producers being like, What? (laughs) And I'm like, her voice. So familiar. And then as we're walking out, I see her face. And it's the aliens lady from Ekalaka. What? <laughs> yes. Wow. All the way in Helena. The, huh. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That really puts a bow on that story, doesn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah, yeah. Really, really wrapped it up nicely. <laughs> but, you know, speaking of questionable... I mean, questionable uh, readings of history. Not, not that aliens don't have to not exist. Sure. But... Um, you know, she definitely was someone who was like, not, did not trust museums, clearly, I think Mm. was one thing from her talk. You know, Mm. you could kind of hear the hints that she might be like anti-evolution, that, you know, she's, she was, she was skeptical of a lot of things. But, you know, another, another thing that we would run into out there were, you know, local history museums and them doing things on, on a certain budget or to sort of fit their view of history one of those things being you know the glendive dinosaur museum which i believe colby and you and i drove past one time uh yeah well i've i've driven past it at least twice uh and Mm -hmm. both times is just very i'll say disconcerting Mm. yeah yeah and i think i think i've told you about that uh here before joe it's a it's a creationist dinosaur museum very clearly marketed to children oh yes i do i recall 
Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. old tobacco company method. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wait, what? Mar- marketing to children. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Okay, okay. Yes. Yeah, it really is. I mean, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the candy cigarette, the jewel, the... Yeah. Yeah, I guess I... Yeah, our... Cur- yeah, I I was trying to think of how I could make a metaphor about how Christian science museums are like jewel, but I'm not I'm not entirely sure. I guess it looks slick. I don't know. Mm. Uh, yeah. Gotta have my vape. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> when in doubt, yeah. just say that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, speaking of people that are uh, creationists and want to force it on other people, uh, Hobby Lobby. Hmm. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, really, Hobby Lobby is the Chick Fil A of uh, of craft stores. Yes, <laughs> that's yes. That's a really good way to put that. Yeah, actually, they really see, are. You know, I throw a lot of metaphors at the wall and see what sticks. I once compared. <laughs> I compared the porn ban on Tumblr to the fall of the Soviet Union. Once. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. Oh my god! Yeah. I mean, the problem is you're not necessarily wrong. Yeah, That's the yeah. issue here. Oh my god! His- history, history will uh, vindicate me. Yeah. <laughs> so, Joe, you got us some dirt on uh, Hobby Lobby. The, I guess the, the non secular version of Michaels. Although Michaels, judging if you were going purely off the names, knew nothing else about them, would you assume that Michaels would have been the Christian craft store? Yes. yes. Yeah. 100%. No question asked. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mm-hmm. Have you guys actually been in a Hobby Lobby before? I have mm-hmm. at least lived in enough places that had a Michaels that it was I okay. was desperate enough for materials. I could go there. There was also right. a chain, or not a chain, there was a store in Montana called Ben Frank's, which is now out of business. Oh. So now I think you have to go to the Hobby Lobby if you're in Helena. I've I've been inside one Hobby Lobby and uh mm. I I will say I I find the feel is very different from that mm. of a uh of a Michaels cuz Michaels is like it's very it's much more artsy I feel mm-hmm. and then yeah. I feel like Hobby Lobby is more like model tanks and model planes mm. and oh, like interesting. this is where 40 year old People who love Nazi paraphernalia go go to get you know model Panzers so they can put them together while also sniffing glue. <laughs> oh my God! Where's the lie though? Yeah. Oh God! I I've only been to a Hobby Lobby once as well, um, and it was because an undergrad. Really, the only local art stores were like AC Moore and Michaels, which is what I would go to. But one time. When driving back from school, I needed to get something. So I went to a Hobby Lobby because my one friend always went. Mm-hmm. And I checked it out. And I think I can confirm uh, Colby's point because that's very much what it's like. And Interesting. Mix, sprinkle in some warehouse feel in there, too. And, just, yes. and like everybody being really confused as to why you're there. Like, I felt <laughs> like that was yeah. always the vibe. Like, so it's, it's really a lost souls type of place. I think so. Yeah. Maybe Purgatory looks like Hobby Lobby. I hope yes. not. Well, <laughs> but it's, it probably does. I, I hope not so. too. But. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I Hobby Lobby. It, it's just one of those stores. I feel like I paid no attention to until I heard this story and just have to share it. And I'm just gonna reference the Atlantic article that came out in 2017. So what, four years ago now or so? Um, 
Who's to Re- say? Yeah, honestly. <laughs> Referencing, it's, this story really yeah. goes back, yeah. like, oh my god, 11 years now? This is this old in 2010, 2011, give uh, or that take. Was a, that was 11 years ago? Yeah, this whole thing. It was about yeah. 11 years ago. And basically, to kind of sum this insane story up that I think will change the perspective on Hobby Lobby for a while. Mm-hmm. So essentially, the people who run Hobby Lobby, the Green family, are a... Let's say they're, they're definitely involved in the evangelical Christian sect of the faith. Um, How could you not be if you're into yarn and model <laughs> tanks? <laughs> I guess that's true, yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so they, you know, they've helped fund different laws and whatnot and go about that. And so they were starting uh, this new project called the Bible, their Museum of the Bible. That was their sort of uh, ground-up museum project that they were having, they were getting funding for, putting it together in Washington, D.C., so this would be near the Smithsonian. And so Hobby Lobby, or the Green family in this case, who were funding all of this, decided that they wanted to kind of branch out into the antiquities game. Huh. Yeah, and so going about acquiring different items and artifacts from, you know, the ancient Holy Land area and bringing it to Washington, D.C. for their museum. And so where this starts to go wrong almost immediately is when uh, Steve Green, who is the like then president of um, Hobby Lobby, goes to uh, the United Arab Emirates to meet with an antiquities dealer as well as um, uh, two Israeli dealers who are also in, in charge of this kind of uh, deal that they were proposing to look at some of these artifacts, and I think he brought around he brought along uh, one of their own antiquities dealer that the the company was funding as well, who was very skeptical this whole time. Mm-hmm. And so when when they go, it's reported that all of the items that are there are completely scattered on the floor. Some of them in cardboard boxes on like a coffee table. Some of them laid out. It kind of looks like a yard sale. Mm-hmm. So so I want you all to picture this. Imagine, I, I imagine it as like a warehouse where there's kind of a Hobby Lobby of itself, almost. You know, I was, I was, I was, going, to, I was going to say right here, you have access to so <clears throat> much craft supplies. You run a store called Hobby mm-hmm. Lobby mm. and you couldn't find, you couldn't find something else to do with your spare time. You couldn't take up quilting. <laughs> nope. Antiquities <laughs> dealing. Cause that's what you do when you're a millionaire. I guess yep. so. So so everything is just scattered on this ground yard sale style. And immediately their antiquities dealer is like, uh, this is not good. Because that's mm-hmm. a, a bad sign to which I'll get into in a few minutes. But, you know, the two Israeli dealers and the one uh, from the United Arab Emirates is like, no, 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 these are legit. Everything's good. We got the paperwork. They're from some guy in the 60s who bought everything. It's all real, you know, take your pick. And so there's about... 3,000 ancient Mesopotamian uh, cuneiform tablets. And, oh, oh, I'm sorry. It's about 450 tablets, but 3,000 boule, which are the little uh, clay, like, stamps and different things that are used. Mm -hmm. So lots and lots and lots of different things here that are are very old. But it should be noted that this is happening, you know, during the rise of ISIS and kind of towards the, what I guess would be like the middle towards the end of the Iraq war, the second Mm -hmm. part. Right. Wait, when, what, I mean, it, it, it's hard to, it's hard to form in my mind a, an end to the yeah, Iraq war. Well, yeah, well, yeah. 
It doesn't really. Um, this would be, yeah. So this is like 2010. So mm, it's this is when the U.S. has destabilized everything, but mm -hmm. it's just awful. You know, there's tons and tons of chaos. You have different terrorist groups and namely ISIS coming to power throughout this point. Okay, um, and then right. they'll they'll move into their major players in like 2014 and so. But mm -hmm. one thing that needs to be kind of addressed in this whole scandal is that at this time, because of the destabilization of the region and Iraq in particular, the antiquities market or the black market of it is booming. That mm -hmm. is the name of the game is going in and raiding archaeological sites because now that the region is destable and there's just kind of a chaos happening, there's all types of stealing, fighting, and whatnot. And I mean, th this this very famously happened to the uh, the Baghdad Museum yeah. when, mm -hmm. uh, when Baghdad fell. Yeah, exactly. There's even, like, laws in place for this, which is happening. And so, you know, it's it was one thing that their, that their dealer was kind of mentioning, like, hey, you're buying items that are taken out of Iraq during this, you know, period of um, chaos. Maybe we should fact check this? Because there's a solid chance that this was from a not-so-good uh, way of acquiring said objects. And he said, do you know who you're talking to? I'm the Yarn Prince, and smacked him. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it would have been like a, I don't know. I don't know. You know, like, I trust these guys. I trust do them. Do you know who I am? I'm Mr. Lobby. My God. <laughs> <laughs> Hi there. My name is Colby White. And I'm one of the hosts from Force Football Facts, a podcast where my friend Zachary and I force our other friend Tyrell to give us insights into the game, even though he doesn't know anything about it. We use our humor to bring you weekly football news in a new way that takes fan opinions into account, while also helping new fans understand why we love this game so much. You can check us out on our website, forcefootballfacts.com, or wherever podcasts are available. Hope to see you soon. But, like, just to kind of throw some numbers there, since the 1990s, it's estimated that over 200 to 500,000 objects have been looted from Iraq, uh, Iraqi culture, archaeological sites. Wow. Uh, yeah. And so at this point, there's a ton of penalties that go into this, like just special import restrictions and everything, you know, different laws that are kind of in place to stop this from happening because the trade just got so out of hand. And, you know, this is used to then fund said terrorist organizations and, and paramilitary units in the area. Mm -hmm. So this being said, Hobby Lobby with our liaison Steve here kind of just ignores that entire history happening currently and goes on a good will or good faith, if you will. And okay. kind of just says, oh, okay, where have you guys acquired these objects from? And they're like, well, it's from this guy in the 60s who got everything legally. Here's our paperwork. Be sure to not look over that too much. Like, like you know, in, um, in like any cop show ever where it's like the FBI and they just flash you the badge, but then they put it down real fast because mm -hmm. they don't want you to know that they're not like actually cops or fbi again again a call back to supernatural but mm -hmm. i do yeah actually yeah. I, I do i do want to quibble a little bit with um mm -hmm. is it oxymoronic to take mm. it on good faith from religious extremists it depends <sighs> on what your views are i guess yeah i'm 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 just i i think i think i'm just uh I, i'm fascinated by i the the use of the word faith 
Yeah. No, I get. Well, that's my that's my <laughs> thing. That's just, I, I'm more or less putting this on them. Uh, who knows? But this is just the type of like passiveness, but also sprinkling some arrogance in the decision making here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. That's the thing. It's like the paperwork is super sketchy, mm-hmm. and they didn't like. Basically, they they said that these objects were from this guy in the sixties who bought everything, but in the seventies there was a janitor who was taking care of it all, and they didn't right. even bother to call him or look it up. Like they were like, "Oh, you know, Jones Smith here. Um, he took care of all the objects," and they were like, "That sounds right." And you know, the guy who they hired as their <laughs> as their employee, the person whose job it is to analyze and understand how the antiquities work and the purchasing of antiquities goes about given that this Mm -hmm. can be super illegal super fast was like hey this needs to be addressed that we're buying objects from this region these are the Mm -hmm. laws in place the statistics as i said that's what he quoted you know this needs to be questioned because this can lead to something with a lot of ramifications and uh they kind of just blew it off they're like yeah nah it's fine. I try again. I'm going to take it on good faith that they're telling us the truth. Mm-hmm. And so with that, Hobby Lobby wired 1.6 million to seven bank accounts with five different people to pay for all of this. And then they are shipped out to the US, falsely labeled as tile samples and to multiple locations so that they're not suspicious packages. Why is this more sketchy than me buying that Neil Brain DVD? Literally. Like- <laughs> Like, I, Neil Breen, for for his films, if you want to watch one of his films, you can't stream them anywhere. Right. So this crazy man that lives out in the, I assume, the deserts of Nevada, you know, you have to go to his website, Mm. uh, purchase one of his movies through a different website. He will then later, at some point, send you a personal email confirmation (laughs) that he has gotten the money from you, and then we'll send you a clear, unlabeled jewel case with a, oh. a, a just a normal homemade DVD with no cover art on it, and just, that's your movie. And this... Wh- why, why is Neil Breen writing... <laughs> why is Neil Breen working a tighter ship than Hobby Lobby, I guess is my I, question. I, I, well... I I guess I'll give my opinion at the end of this as to why I think this okay. all happens, but I can assure yeah. you I just think it's a it's an issue of just not thinking things through. And assuming you're really good at something before you've ever done it. It's kind of like I imagine it as if like I were to start skiing, but mm. I've never skied before. But I didn't and I and like I hired a personal trainer, right, to help me to get better uh-huh. at skiing. But I didn't listen to them because that would require me to be somewhat, you know a good listener, I guess. And so I was like, no, 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 I just hired you for the look. I'm going to do this anyway. And then I went down the biggest hill there and then fell the whole way. That's kind of how I associate this mentality. Yeah. Interesting metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> just off the cuff, Sam, always. <laughs> so this happens. They wire the money. The transaction is done. The objects are on the move. They are getting ready to fund this museum. We're going to have all this ancient stuff there. And then in 2011, in January of 2011, actually, Customs and Border Patrol seized uh, five packages falsely originating in Turkey and then started an investigation into it, which quickly uh, surmised us to finding roughly 3,450 objects 
which were the um, boule and tablets. And it all kind of came crumbling down and traced it huh. right back to Hobby Lobby. Wow. Huh. Yeah, this does not go well. I see. Essentially, a lawsuit is filed, and the- I gotta read you guys this case name, because it's fantastic. <laughs> Are you ready? Yeah. Oh, yes. The United States of America v. approximately 450 ancient cuneiform tablets and approximately 3,000 ancient clay boule. It's long. Tonight, uh, for it's... one night only on pay-per-view! <laughs> it re- that's how it reads, and then, of course, you have to list everything out, and I'm like, wow. Like, that's how this thing starts. That's what people uh-huh. are seeing on the news. That is the court case, and you're like, yes. okay, yes. interesting. And then, of course, it's linked all back to Hobby Lobby, and they thankfully realized what they did was wrong rather fast and you know work with the authorities they take the fines it's about three million in fines that Uh they have to pay for doing this none of it is was apparently in the museum at all it was like Uh held but it was never actually displayed um according to the vice president of marketing administration and finance who's stephen bickley at the time was like no 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 it's never been there i think our other objects are fine, but these were not. And so, you know, even even Steve Green in this case was like, I think we we have the L on this one, guys. Like we messed mm. up and uh, you know, owned up to their mistakes, but it's just if they were I'm just I'm just saying, if they were willing to go that far with yeah. it, I imagine there's something else in that museum that was yeah. a more successful version of this. Yeah. Also, like I have to ask if you're into if you're looking for Judeo-Christian right. artifacts, what interest do they have in Mesopotamian artifacts? No idea. Yeah. I don't know. I but I can just like imagine them like when they're apologizing, they're like, Yes, uh, we here at Hobby Lobby would just like to go ahead and return these artifacts, uh, do mm. what's right. We'd also like to give you this scale model of the Sistine Chapel made completely <laughs> out of popsicle sticks. <laughs> And uh, we promise we'll never do it again as long as you don't catch us. (laughs) (laughs) Well, like, that's the thing, too. They had to put, like, a thing on their website at the time that addressed that they were working with the authorities to return things. The objects did get returned in 2018, everything, Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. mostly everything, thankfully, which is good because that's where they belong. Uh Yeah, yeah. But just, you know, I feel like with this story, the thing that just I'm left with is incompetence and stupidity, (laughs) to be blunt. Because it's like, you know, I feel like this was, like I said, a a hobby of sorts that they tried to get involved with, (laughs) but didn't actually think it through. And then there's real ramifications to this, like, you know, funding ISIS, which is um, (laughs) not a good look, Hobby Lobby. Not great. That's pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah, no, only mm-hmm. only only our presidents are allowed to accidentally fund <laughs> terrorist groups. Oof. Yeah. Uh, but mic like, drop. Mic drop, yep. <laughs> but that's the thing that like I feel like this is a good I guess kind of case study slash story to sort of start to question the acquisition of things and the process that goes into that, where it's not as easy as like, I'm going to just purchase said objects and put them in my museum. There is a right and a wrong way to go about these things. And there are people out there whose, you know, jobs this is to do that. 
the correct way, which was, of course, in Hobby Lobby's official statement that they're going to work with the right people this time and they're not going to go ahead and, you know, do what they must in order to acquire things. But I feel like, you know, as a muse, a potential upcoming museum for them, this was just such a mm, kind of a yikes on their part. Yeah. And, it, and, it, and it asks a lot of questions, I think, for now, you know, when criticizing museum collections is, is higher, you know, they were, I think, just... I don't, I don't really think they knew what they were doing. Because mm-hmm. I think some people very much know where they're acquiring these things from and keep it that way, right? On the hush-hush. I think Hobby Lobby genuinely thought that this was the right way to do this because yeah. that was well, the fastest I mean, way. Well, because, like... Everybody thinks they could be a drug dealer, mm. but like, there's a, there's a reason why a drug dealer's not going to tell you. Oh yeah, I get it from this person. Right, right. I mean, it's it's interesting though, in a historical context, because for some time this is kind of a less stupid version of this is kind of how archaeology was carried out for a while, where. Mm a lot of people wanted to know about the past through a Christian lens. It was right. sort of trying to put together a chronology of biblical history that a lot of archaeologists started out. And to some extent, a lot of, you know, a lot of early geologists were coming out of the church and stuff. They were just priests that wanted a hobby and they were all, you know, I guess rocks were slightly more interesting than being a priest. So fair enough. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, th- think of all the amazing discoveries that like were made by monks. I think that speaks to a, a-, a need for a hobby. Yeah. yeah. A well, hobby, a hobby, Abby. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Um, but no, wasn't it? Who was it? Uh, Gregor, Gregor Mendel? Who? who did, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Pea plants. Yeah. 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 He was like, yeah, obsessed with orchids and stuff and like i i want to imagine him as like a a charming a charming old man you know uh with his flowers you know mm. there's the, like also the temptation of like you know he was just this flower pervert yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just like spread the seed <sighs> spread the seed would we inevitably get the movie version of this i want to i want to throw um in oh my god i want to throw in um why am i blanking on his name i had this set up and now i forget help me Nicholas out hold on cage you know what yes i like that this is who it is now wait wait who wait i who was thinking Nic- of Nicola, Nicholas cage is gregor mendel <laughs> yes. <laughs> no yes. wait wait i thought we were talking about the hobby lobby thing i was gonna say Nicholas cage <laughs> could be hired to steal all the things hobby lobby <gasps> oh <laughs> Oh my God, that's it. I have it. to steal the cuneiform tablets. <laughs> Willem Dafoe. It was Willem Dafoe I was thinking is going to play the live action Gregor Mendel. Oh God. That's awesome. how it has to be. Has, <laughs> has, has Willem Dafoe ever played a monk? Not yet. That would be, oh God, that's, that's good. Yeah. I heard it once said that he looks like a tree. <laughs> <laughs> love him, love him as an actor. He, he like, does. He does. Oh. Man, you know what's funny though? Scott posted a picture, a memory, um, like a year or so ago, and it was of him and William Defoe out on a dig together. He did like a celebrity thing, and he got to take Willem Defoe out on a dig. 
Oh my what? god. Whoa. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool yeah. Willem Dafoe likes dinosaurs and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So he yeah. should definitely be Gregor Mendel. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, I I did watch a I, I did watch that movie The Hunter where he was uh, uh, yeah. hunting a thylacine. I remember um, that. Yeah, yeah. Huh. I mean, yeah. I mean, I wonder I wonder if because I, I our our mutual friend Scott, who I have not seen in a long time, I imagine is just still maybe he's just still mad at me, um after our Van Morrison argument. <laughs> that was I, I don't that's funny because me and Stu still bring that up all the time. And, <laughs> and, uh, mostly me like getting in a good jab at Stu whenever he says something <laughs> smart and I don't have a good comeback. I'm just always like, you thought Van Morrison was like a next generational musical talent? Like, really, <laughs> Stu? Like, how smart can you be? But uh, <laughs> I, I don't recall Scott having a particular stance on it, but uh, I, I could see that. I don't know. Scott, Scott's a, uh, he can be an interesting fellow musically. Oh, yeah, certainly, certainly. Yeah. I mean, the thing that I really always appreciated about Scott, you know, he's incredibly nerdy um yes. you know knows so much about comics obsessed with all of the uh the movies and everything you know he's very science minded and everything but mm. he is an ex cop so he definitely still has that swagger to him which is very interesting it's a very interesting combo when you're out in the field and he is like that that he has that combination of he is in, he is very very smart very nerdy but you know, just has kind of that that look when you like got to get something done. Yeah, he's he's a very determined individual. Um, I also yeah. say it's terrifying when you cross him and you're out in the field, <laughs> and he's just like, "All right, hands against the car," and you're like, "What car? There's no car anywhere." <laughs> I mean, uh, to go back a little bit to Nicolas Cage. I mean, Nicolas mm. Cage is someone who also tried to purchase back when Nicolas Cage was not you know saying yes to every role right uh, pre pre-financial crisis Nicolas Cage um <laughs> I'm also very fascinated by that you can call him both Nick Cage and Nicolas Cage because usually like celebrities are like very specific like you're not like I am William Shatner I am Paul F Tompkins you know mm. they have to be very specific with their names because of um because of the 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 actors guild, right? Like you right. have to have you have to have a specific name. But Nicolas Cage can be both Nick Cage and Nicolas Cage. You know, it's not a whole huh. um cuz like if you think about it like Will Graham, Bill Graham and Billy Graham are so they're such different people. One is a fictional character from the Hannibal Lecter universe. One is an evangelical uh pastor. The other is uh a rock and roll concert promoter. Hmm. Huh. I'll never tell which is which. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so this also does it seems like happens with uh dinosaur fossils as well. Um Colby, you uh you're you're a dinosaur man. Yes, yes, I've been known as such. Yes, yes. When when we first met, there was uh a you know we we were working in an area near the where the hell creek formation is exposed and there's a lot of amateur paleontologists there's a lot of people that just are going about their business and stumble upon fossils that are you know from 
you, you know, it's not uncommon to, it's not completely uncommon to find like these very famous dinosaur bones just lying around. Right. And I mean, even when, when Joe was describing, mm-hmm. you know, all the, the artifacts just lying on the floor in the, the cardboard and everything, I could not help but flash back to a, a specific person, maybe I shouldn't say their name's property that we were on, where we saw many fossils being collected, some in questionable ways, um, but you just kind of had to go with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think my profile picture on Facebook is uh, is from maybe that site you're talking about. Um, ah, yes. Not confirming or denying the fact this person may or may not be a vampire. Um, <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, inside joke. I mean, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, he had like he had like a little mini helicopter too. Like Joe, Joe, you got it. Joe, uh, you got to picture this. Like you uh-huh. walk in. He's got one of those. Um, what's it called when you have like the half cylinder like air hanger looking things that are like uh. they're just all made of tin. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, yeah. You walk into one of those. He's got one, a couple of these on his property. His property is just like littered with old cars and buses and you're like how did they get out here you go out into this hangar and there's old stoves and uh and wagons and a little mini helicopter thing that he uses to like survey his ranch but then there's also like t-rex bones lying around and it's uh it's it's definitely an experience sounds like it yeah, it uh-huh. was yeah, it it was crazy and it, and uh just being there for a day, I don't think we'd even done any other field work up to that point really. But no. you, it was for me at least, it was almost like there was a whole different vibe around our purpose uh being there. It it didn't feel so much yeah. scientific as much as it felt like a uh, treasure hunter, I guess. Yeah. Well, huh. yeah, you know, he's wearing you know, I, I understand he is a rancher, so he's not like a total poser or something. Like, you know, the dude actually does live the cowboy life a bit. Sure. But, you know, he's like, he's, he's, you know, he's wearing like a hat and a leather vest. And he's like, he's, he's down for, he's down for the, the treasure hunter life. I could see that. Yeah. Okay. All right. Real Indiana Jones. Yeah. But maybe a vampire Indiana Jones. <laughs> oh. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. to be to be confirmed or denied later um obviously yeah we don't yeah. know uh, but if he's alive when we die then we know <laughs> <laughs> this sounds like a good novella story you know something like a very short short story that i feel like could be adapted yeah. into other things hmm. yeah i mean i um i I've, I've been recently on a bit of a thrift store kick uh okay. finding just cheap books and thrift stores and whatever um and, you know, I got, like, a cool, like, uh, art theory book for, like, 99 cents. But then also for 99 cents, I got this novel uh, titled Bone Wars. But it is about if the Bone Wars happened, but there were also aliens there. Oh, and time okay. and time travel. <laughs> okay. That's the whole title of the book, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I need you to understand the cover of this of this uh, paperback is that I'm looking at right now is a cowboy riding some sort of mm. ceratopsian dinosaur with an okay. alien spaceship in the background. Beautiful. That's great. Yes. Yeah, I love this. Yeah. Mm. But yes, uh sorry I I interrupted Colby. Oh, no no, I was that was just a, a whole train of thought. I, I was 
you set mm-hmm. me up for what you were going to ask me, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, as I, I guess while we're talking about tyrannosaurs, I think if we're talking kind of about scandals with artifacts, I feel like we kind of have to talk about Sue the T Rex. Mm, of course. Um, and I mean, when we first met, you were very uh can i say smitten with the idea of a a certain uh paleontologist and yes his and his sort of tale of being involved in sue and i kind of wanted to give you that opportunity to talk about that we've talked about we did a brief overview about sue it was kind of an aside when we were talking about haunted artifacts mm and possibly radioactive dinosaur bones. I don't know. But uh, yeah, I kind of wanted to give you a, an opportunity to kind of give, give us your thoughts. Yeah, you know, um, yeah, it was one of those things, you know, when me and Zan first met, I was, I mean, I was, what, 24, 25, uh, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, never been on like a, a dinosaur excursion, if you will. And so I looked up to a lot of these guys that you see in documentaries, not knowing that there was this, absolute lack of context uh when it came to you know what i was being told in these documentaries mm-hmm. um case in point uh pete larson he is the uh one of the people who helped discover sue as well as uh sue hedrickson hendrickson whatever yeah susan is. susan hendrickson i believe yeah, yeah hendrickson yeah. and um that's how the dinosaur actually got its name but so in the documentary it makes him seem like you know, just your average Joe put himself through school, loved rocks, loved dinosaurs, started this business um, with his uh, his brother. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, just like he finds this T-Rex at the time, the most complete T-Rex ever found. And the government takes it away from him because of all this stupid bureaucratic nonsense. The man. Right. Yeah. It's like, oh, oh, darn. And it just breaks your heart. And if you've ever seen the documentary. You know what I'm talking about. It's it's very well done. I would say definitely one of the better documentaries on dinosaurs I've ever seen. But yeah, as soon as I get to to Ekalaka, um, our kind of our our field leader, the lab manager, her name is uh, Hillary McLean. Shout out to uh to Hill Dog there. She starts telling me that you know a lot of the stuff in this documentary about Pete Larson is not true, and that. The reason he went to jail and the reason they took Sue away is because he had a history of not doing things by the book. And by doing that, you know, he ended up in jail and he got that dinosaur taken away from him because he was taking fossils off of public land without permits. And he was doing that and then selling the fossils to private buyers instead of Mm. giving them to Uh. museums. And uh, there's not just one, but there's tons of stories. And and like Zan said, if, if we could have Scott on here, he could, I don't know that he would, but he could elaborate um, more on that. Uh, but yeah, it's just, it was heartbreaking for me. It was, it was a weird moment because I don't think most people ever see the moment in their life where they become jaded, you know? Mm. But after hearing everything about Pete Larson, I'm pretty sure I had a moment in my brain where I'm like, well, I guess I'm jaded now. You know? <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. yeah. It's it pretty rough. Wow. Oh, yeah. my God. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's, um, I mean, because it also, the story also sort of intersects with this weird thing of, like, money in paleontology. Like, mm. that you're, because, I mean, the, the, the messed up thing about this on top of everything else is, yeah, you know, he's taking stuff off of public land. There was a question of uh, whether it was taken off of uh, Indian land, too, right? Um, if it was right. taken off a reservation. Yep, yep. Yeah. But, I mean, it is the problem of, like, these fossils being valued so high and, like, right. you know, t telling someone that stumbles across a dinosaur on their ranch to, like, hey, you should give that to a museum, you know, to be, like, to go Indiana Jones on them. It belongs in a museum. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. And, and it wouldn't be such a problem if, and I don't know, I'm not blaming the museums because, obviously, they don't want to encourage the selling yeah. of fossils. But there's a lot of fossils that we, and I can't say we as paleontologists because I'm not one. I have a degree in it, but I'm not employed by a museum. But they are so afraid of buying fossils from mm -hmm. these dealers that they actually let very important scientific specimens uh, just kind of mm. flow off in the breeze, you know? Um, yeah. Wow. And then if it's been you know, bought by a private dealer, I don't think museums will accept it after it's gone to a private buyer either. They, they only mm. want things collected by their, you know, kind of their own researchers and their own field crews. And uh, at some point, you know, I understand them, but also at some point it, it does hurt the science and you have to find a middle ground somehow, you know? Yeah, yeah, I mean, the, the, the issue of the, the provenance of the piece, you know, because people will, you know, dress up a fossil to look good on a private display. It is such a problem that, like, a lot of the stuff does end up in private hands. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's, it's, it's such a problem of, like, not wanting to encourage the behavior, but you still want people to be invested in dinosaurs and right and, yeah. and 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 invested in paleontology in general but you know it's it's also i don't know if it's also like similar to like the the panda problem too in like mm. china where like they put a lot of effort into preserving the panda yeah. when in reality they have bigger environmental issues to sort of confront other than the giant panda right right yep. yeah uh -huh. Yeah, it is. It is extremely frustrating. I mean, didn't um, kind of recently, didn't a a, a pretty high profile T Rex go into private hands? Uh yes, actually, Stan, one of the uh, oh, yeah, the more important T Rex specimens. I I, I think because it was owned by Pete Larson, and I think mm -hmm. his brother sold it, and then their company actually uh, ended up going their separate ways. Um, mm. but yeah, some ungodly amount of money was paid for it. Uh, but that, that's a little different because I know Stan mm -hmm. has been extensively studied. Yeah, um, the casts yeah. have been made and stuff. There's only so much more information we could get from having the original specimens and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, that's, yeah, that's, that's not as, that's not as terrible, I suppose. I, I, I think also the problem with them was that they were selling some specimens to the Creationist Museum or some Creationist Museum at some point, too. Yeah. Or was that, or was that just hearsay? No. So, what, I mean, it could be hearsay. I don't, I don't want to say too much without knowing. Yeah. But from yeah. what I've heard is, is uh, something that Larson does is he will get casts of these 
fossils that he digs up, and then mm-hmm. he will sell those casts to creationist museums, uh, mm-hmm. who then use it to push their narrative. And mm-hmm. to me, that I think that's what kind of broke my heart the most because mm-hmm. it's one thing to sell fossils, but it's mm-hmm. another thing entirely to sell fossils to the people who are trying to completely destroy your science. I mean, you're, yeah. you're yeah. literally throwing the science under the bus and it's, it's infuriating, you know? Mm-hmm. 100%. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, oh my God. I mean, like I said, I didn't, I didn't, I don't come from a paleontology background, so I don't know a lot about this um, necessarily, but it is, I think it's something you see in a lot of different scenarios, but with this in particular, what you brought up of, I think betraying your own cause, right? Mm-hmm. By then yeah. really just wanting a paycheck. Cause that's kind of mm-hmm. what it sounds like. It's like, cause it's interesting too, that, you know, I guess you could study said fossils, make the cast do what you need and then sell it off to collectors and private buyers and whatnot. And, and I think there's some debate to that and maybe it's not as terrible, but this mm-hmm. just seems very much like you're just fueling another fire in which is, I think gaining traction to some degree, or maybe it's mm-hmm. not. Who knows? But I, I don't know. That's very, that's upsetting. Yeah. I think I'm kind of lost for words on that, but it's just upsetting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I've given it thought to like, like you know, it, it almost sounds like a ghost hunter approach. Like mm-hmm. you hunt yeah. ghosts your whole life because you know that ghosts are real, and then you start faking some things to get more funding, mm-hmm. even though it's totally you know ruining your science and getting rid of your authenticity and Mm -hmm. and maybe that's kind of what he's doing he's like if i have more money i can dig up more things but he's Mm -hmm. also not that i know of he hasn't put out a paper in a very very long time it's not like he's studying these things he's just Mm -hmm. selling them to get more money to dig up more to sell them for more you know Mm, and business yeah it's a it's totally a business to him and he drives a Subaru Outback, which I mean, that's just tacky, you know. It's wow. Thanks yeah. for thanks for call, thanks for calling me out. <laughs> yeah, I'm just I'm just messing with you. Right? <laughs> oh my god! Do you remember I pulled up? I pulled up to that one dig in the in my you know in my blue Baru in my <laughs> yeah. Blue and, and they're like they see the six at the front of my license plate, which means I'm coming from Bozeman. They're like, Bozeman, huh? Jack Horner country. Oh, yeah. Everyone's so elitist. In the pa- that, that's a problem with paleontology in general. Is like, and, and bless, you know, bless everyone's yeah. heart that I've worked with. But a lot of people yes. can be like, oh, you're a, you're a Jack Horner fanboy. Oh, you, you look up to people who used to, be the revolutionary in this science how dare you you know it's yeah. it's kind of silly joe you got to joe imagine being talked down to by ev- just everybody's wearing khaki cargo pants and ca- and cargo shorts like <sighs> and they're they're talking down to you you know i, I don't like this yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah that well that's just like it's it's funny cuz i'm listening to this and i'm like Wow, the elitism really does spread throughout all mediums and jobs, doesn't it? You know, it? The, the funny the funny thing is though, I've heard it remarked that um paleontologists th- this is coming from someone who was a geo- uh, I was speaking to someone who was a geologist and they're telling me they're like paleontologists are just artsy geologists. You know, they're all huh. I th- that that was sort of their read of of people. I mean, it, it, it's also interesting, like, I think the competitiveness between 
dinosaur paleontologists and the people that work sort of outside of that and like don't get as much of the heat and the drama um yeah. i mean i'm thinking I'm, I'm thinking of another friend of ours who is specifically interested in fish paleontology uh okay yeah uh, hmm. um wait do yeah, i know I'm, do i know the fish friend yes ah okay then i know yeah yes. yep yeah <laughs> 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 who could very reasonably say technically dinosaurs are fish yeah I mean, they every everything's a fish, Sam. If you if yeah. you look back far enough, yeah. Um. <laughs> I mean, I I remember uh, Vericchio played us a folk bluesy song called "Your Mama Was a Lobe Finned Fish." Uh, Did he write it? No, I. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Uh, you know that and um. That and another professor, I don't remember who it was, but at MSU played us, uh, we were learning about pyroclastic flows, and they played us uh, Ice Cube's song, Pyroclastic Flow. And I remember, the the thing that I remember most vividly about that song, because that's probably the last time I heard it in undergrad, uh, was that he, he rhymed hot lava with saliva. Hot lava mixed with saliva. Oh, that's dirty i like it yeah that's yeah, kind of fun yeah, yeah. huh mm-hmm. i i would also just like to take this moment real quick i know it sounded like i was defending jack horner a second ago i will defend him paleontologically speaking up to a point but him as a person no i, I don't want to defend that because he did like marry uh, a 19 year old when he was like 68 so yeah yeah that's kind of creepy yeah, yeah. And, and she and was she a, she was a student of his too right I. I know she was oh, wait, a she, student. She, well, she was 19. She wouldn't have... I don't think she would have worked with him. No. I, 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 you know what? I'm not, I'm not going to say that much else on that because I don't know a ton about that other than it happened. But yes, I will also throw that in there as well that uh, it's, uh, it's a real... It's a real Woody Allen type problem. You're like, you're like, love, love the work, love the work. We're going to look the other way on some other stuff and not talk about that right now. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus. Well, this paleodrama. Yeah. Yeah. So much. mm -hmm. Yeah. And and then what you were saying about, um, about paleontologists being more artsy geologists. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I, I could definitely see that. Uh, I would say, geology majors um actually from what i've experienced they really don't like paleontology majors maybe because <laughs> we like studying something that used to be alive uh, <laughs> that's how it's been described to me i've actually had one of the tas for one of my mineralogy classes uh she said uh she doesn't like anything that's alive and so she can't understand why someone would want to mix rocks and things that are alive and it just frustrates her and that's why she doesn't like paleo <laughs> So, you know, huh. my my ex-girlfriend that I was seeing at the time that I was in Ekalaka would just was so confounded by everything that we were doing for for sort of the inverse of that, which she was like, why do you all care? They're all dead. Oh, ouch. And- <laughs> <laughs> Brutal. Yeah. She also hated uh, our performance at the Pitchfork Fondue. Said it was too loud. What? Uh, that, 
<laughs> now that's that's downright insulting. <laughs> <laughs> that's too far. The line is crossed. We're done now. Yeah, yeah it's like oh, say like, say what you want about the science of paleontology, but you're arguing with our fun dance that was accompanied by boiling a a a vat, a cauldron of oil, and deep frying steak. Yeah. Well, we just made a bunch of cowboys dance. And it's you like be mad about that. We went up there and we played all star for you. And you're going to sit here <laughs> and judge us like that. <laughs> this sounds magical. Oh, oh my God. Yes. It was something. It's amazing. Huh. It's amazing watching um, an audience really be divided by age when you start playing the opening notes to All Star and you watch everybody that's like in their 30s and younger watch their eyes light up. Huh. And yeah. everybody else, including the people you're playing music with who are all old cowboys, completely confused. <laughs> yep, yep. And yeah. you will never feel more like Viking Santa than when you play All Star in front of those kids and you see their eyes light up. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Oh, Viking Santa. Yeah. Well, I uh, sort of the, the story that I wanted to contribute to this was uh, semi-similar. It, it's interesting. It, it sort of marries a lot of the themes that we already sort of talked about. Mm -hmm. I wanted to talk about uh, Archaeoraptor. And, uh, you know, this is... This is sort of happening right around turn of the millennia. Like, um, so late 90s, early 2000s is kind of when this is happening. Jura we are uh, post-Jurassic Park. It's fairly popularized. The, the, uh, the hot thing is dinosaurs, you know, it, it's now pretty widely known that dinosaurs are uh, at least related to birds. There's still a little bit of some scientists that are not going to outright say birds are dinosaurs or that they are in, you know, that they are manny-raptor dinosaurs. But the the thing to remember is that this is really hot pop science at the time. You know, um, Walking with Dinosaurs has come out, I think, at that point. Or no, actually, Walking with Dinosaurs would come out in 99. So that's happening right out in, like, the, the thick of this. Okay. Um, so in 1997 in China, uh, there there was this basically this shale pit where it was pretty common to find dinosaurs and a lot of kind of poor farmers would sift through these uh these these shale pits looking for fossils to sell and it was pretty common i mean this is illegal but common you know and mm. there's there's a lot of people with stories about like finding really beautiful museum quality specimens you know for sale on the side of the road in china china has um some regions that just have absolutely exquisite uh preservation because the mud that the animals was buried in was so fine you know so that that's why uh that, that's part of the reason why we know so much about the evolutionary history of birds from china is because it, it it's one of those interesting sort of uh the bias of preservation type of things we find all of these early birds in china we don't know if they were actually that common there more common than anywhere else but it ju they just preserve so beautifully there mm. um, so that we find their feathers and uh, all lots of very delicate features that would uh, not normally survive. So, you know, we can you can be pretty certain that these dinosaurs and birds had feathers. But, you know, people are still, you know, not entire. The public is not 
totally used to seeing dinosaurs with feathers on them, even though Jurassic Park has already come out and people are familiar with that lingo. Remember the raptors, the, the velociraptors in Jurassic Park, a dinosaur from Mongolia that they are shown digging up in Montana at the beginning of that movie that I would, I would just like to throw that out there. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. That people still saw them as scaly. You know, I think other than Archaeopteryx and maybe a couple of others, no one regular, maybe like Quadopteryx and a couple others, like there were not that many other dinosaurs that we were, that, that the convention was to show them with feathers. It was still pretty rare in the pop culture. So sort of uh, th this farmer finds uh, this, fossil that has, that's covered in feathers um but it starts crumbling in his hands as he's taking it out of the earth mm. so he gets uh some other pieces that he finds and sort of pieces it all together uh to make it look more complete make the fossil more expensive that so that he can sell it to someone right um he sells it in june of 1998 to an anonymous dealer and it is smuggled to the united states this is completely illegal. China does not allow uh, fossils to leave uh, China. Right. Okay. Yeah. So this is, uh, that is June of 98. Uh, by the fall, uh, SVP is happening in Utah, the Society of Vertebrate Paleontology. They're holding their conference, and there's rumors going around about it. And they're hearing that, oh, there's a really early bird because uh, that that was the end, but it's being held privately, and the anonymous another anonymous dealer showed the piece at a gem show in Tucson, Arizona, and it was purchased by uh, Stephen and Sylvia Cherkas. I'm not sure how to pronounce that last name. C Z E R K A S. Um, they ran the something called the Dinosaur Museum in Blanding, Utah, and. I'll say this. I mean, it's always, you know, okay, so I worked in a used bookstore for a little while, and one of my jobs was sorting books that we would get in. We'd get a massive amount of donated books, and kind of you needed, because you had a limited amount of time, you had, and we were selling these books for so little money, everything was so cheap, you could not invest a lot of time into looking at what a book was and where it belonged. So you had to be able to look at the cover of a book, literally judge it by its cover, and know uh, what know what genre it was. The uh, uh, one of the things I kind of had to uh, get good at was spotting Christian books uh, mm. and mm. separating them from <laughs> children's dinosaur books because a lot of times they would have titles like "The Truth About Dinosaurs," "The Dinosaur Book." And you, some, you could just look at them, and the graphic design was just off enough that you could tell it was a Christian book. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> it was just cheap enough to know that, oh, this is not a real science book. Um, you know, right. and like, because you, you're also like trying to sift out what's Christian romance, what's regular romance, what's Amish romance, what's, oh. um, mm. yeah, oh, yeah. You know, spicy, spicy stuff, those Amish. Oh, um yeah. yeah have you had their cheese wait wait <laughs> just i just can we just take a second and what in the absolute fuck could 
Amish romance entail? Just like <laughs> building a I, house together? You know, here's the thing that I think it is. I think that this is this is me having not read any of them, but having looked at a lot of covers and read a lot of uh, inner jacket plot descriptions. Mm-hmm. I think Amish fiction is sort of it's sort of the 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 footloose problem where uh trademark um (laughs) (laughs) so so footloose right is fun Mm -hmm. because yeah i love rock and roll and i if i went to a town where everybody was a square and didn't believe in rock and roll and didn't believe in dancing i would be the coolest guy in town because i would show everybody rock and roll problem Everyone in America at this point loves rock and roll and dancing, you know? Uh, So mm. the problem is when you try to tell Footloose now, it sounds so ridiculous because you're not even sure who the authority figure is that you're railing against. And I think with Amish fiction, uh, with Amish fiction, someone like me, who is, I would say a pretty i i am perhaps overly cautious i'm pretty low-key i'm pretty quiet um not that out there and yet i would walk into an amish community and i'm the biggest sinner there right right yeah i am i am the most rebellious thing a a boring white man i am the most i would i'm the most exotic i a a a a a milk toast Jew in Amish country. I would be the most exotic, rebellious thing in uh, mm. wherever in Pennsylvania uh, you dropped me um, in Amish country. Yeah. So y- y- you get what I'm kind of saying. Like <laughs> it's a way to present a protagonist that is just a run of the mill modern dude, right? Or mm. or gal or something. It's a, and then put them in a position where they seem like a rebel, I think. Interesting. And they, I, I, th- I think that's what Amish fiction does. It lets you be, I'm against the status quo. And it's like, what, the Amish? It's <laughs> 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 true rule. I mean, it really did be like that, though, out in Lancaster. So can confirm. But mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh-huh. A Philly son. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, I have nothing bad i could ever say about the amish because from what yeah. i've heard and experienced they're very very nice people yeah um, yeah i it's just i guess the concept high, of high even... frequency of polydactylism oh really yeah one of the um one of the uh founders at least in some of the united states communities uh had a recessive gene for uh polydactylism and because of the genetic bottleneck effect of basically a bunch of a very small group of people building an entire population. Apparently it's very common for some of them to have six fingers. Huh? Wow. Yeah. Okay. That's crazy. Cause I just watched the princess bride last night. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Full circle. <laughs> oh, <that's nuts. laughs> oh my God. Six fingered man. Amazing. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. Yeah, so then also I would, you know, I would flip through uh, Suzanne Rice's erotica every now and then, too, you know. Um, As you do. 
Yeah, I I would flip through uh, the Left Behind series, which took up like half of our Christian fiction section. Oh, wow. Mm. Also, Nicolas Cage connection. Huh. Anyways, so. uh, Okay, so Archaeoraptor. So, uh, but basically, the, the, the reason I kind of got onto this was just the name, the Dinosaur Museum in Blanding, Utah, raised an eyebrow for me. I looked up their website. It is a, um, it's an interesting color scheme. A lot of browns and greens. Bold. Um, bold. Yes, bold. Bold graphic design choices. They're exhibits don't look that terrible and as far as i can tell i don't think they're a creationist museum but they do seem very much aimed to little kids that want to look at moderately updated but not that great models of dinosaurs Um, that there's not a lot of science going on there i seriously doubt anyone is studying anything i think it's kind of just a roadside come and look at that type museum even though mm. it's it, it they they clearly have a bit of a budget sure. um so much so they got a uh, trustee of the museum dale slade to give them eighty thousand dollars to purchase the fossil oh wow and you know they they did do this a bit out of i want to to their credit they wanted this in scientific hands and they didn't want it to just you know disappear into the ether of private collection right right so uh, they have it, and uh, so the Shirkuses they get in touch with a paleontologist named Phil uh, Phil Curry or Curry or uh, Curie. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Phil Curry. Phil Curry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't sure if it was like a Marie Curie or a Curry. Mm. Yeah. Um, no, he's a he's yeah. a pretty big uh, pretty big paleontologist. Yeah. Yeah. Um. You know. So like like I'm saying, they're getting like you know real scientists to work on this um curry contacts the national geographic uh society and um but curry uh you know sort of knowing i think recognizing sort of the fishiness about the fossils uh provenance is like says i will study it uh but the fossil has to be eventually returned to china so uh national geographic when they get in on this um, they say, okay, we'll publish about this and we want exclusivity, but it has to be published in a peer reviewed journal first. Like it has to be formally published and then they want to kind of have the scoop on it. They want to, they want it to be the big breakout article, basically in national geographic and have a big expose on it, uh, right before everyone else to tell you a little bit about the fossil, as far as everyone can tell, It's kind of the perfect, back then, what we would think of as the perfect transition-looking fossil. It has this long, rod-like dromaeosaur tail that's Mm. feathered, um, but the upper part of the body, the the human half of the mermaid, uh, is... uh is very uh very bird-like as far as they can tell it it looks almost exactly like a bird um Mm. a just has teeth you know and uh and fingers so this would be at least to the public when you presented this this is like the perfect missing link looking fossil perfect transitionary species and i hesitate to even say that because i know nowadays we're not really supposed to talk about or think of any 
organism in terms of a missing link mm-hmm. you know um but to put it in the in the in in the vocabulary of the time that is what this really appears to be this is the half dinosaur half bird species that everybody has been looking for right mm. gotcha so um national geographic to 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 their credit and to Phil Curry's credit you know they say you know, we're going to do this right. Curry's like, I'll study it, but it has to be returned to China. National Geographic is, we'll publish on it, but it has to be in a peer-reviewed journal first. And they wanted this to be the, the, the Cherkesses and uh, their, uh, their um, trustee guy that fronted them the money. They want this to be the big draw to the Dinosaur Museum. And they wanted to keep it on display there for five years. They, uh, they're, they're basically trying to convince them that uh, immediately after publication, because how this is going to look, they need to return it to China. Or uh, they, they tell them they will not write about it for National Geographic and Curie will not work on it unless they agree that it goes back to China. Uh, they agree. Um, and then they, they, uh, they contact the uh, Institute of Vertebrate Paleontology and Paleoanthropology in Beijing. Um, and they start they start to kind of put together a team, an international team that's going to study this piece and work on it. The dream team. <laughs> so <laughs> So then, March of nineteen ninety nine rolls around. Everybody remembers that. I was five years old. I was three. Yeah, wait, I'm sorry. What year was that again? Ninety nine. 99. 99. I was 6. No, no, wait. I was 7. 7. Okay. All right. Yeah, you know, it was it was it was time to be alive. Um <laughs> you know, we were all we we, we were all, at least you and me Cole, we were probably into dinosaurs by then. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was into dinosaurs. Yeah. <laughs> I came out of the womb with my <laughs> arms in a T-Rex pose. So <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that how we all start life? Yes. <laughs> So, um, basically, uh, by March of 99, Curry is like, there's something wrong here. Mm. What was presented to them as a very complete looking, uh, skeleton, he notices something. The left and the right legs are perfect mirrors of each other. And Mm. they didn't Mm. have both legs. They had slab and counter slab. So, Mm. um... If you're if you're picturing, you know, sort of one of these flattened fossils that gets, uh, you know, that's in like one sheet of slate, they have, um, imagine it kind of like a mold. They have the reverse of it that's been pressed in the rock that was pressed up against the uh, the slab that actually had the fossil in it. And to them, it looked like they had two legs, but they actually just had one leg. And it was it was just uh, the uh, the reverse of it, kind of smushed into the skeleton. So they also could not find any connection between the tail and the body. These are all problems. Uh, they have it X-rayed. Uh, they have uh, high resolution X-ray done. They have a CT scan done, and they are showing that the bottom fragments. Uh, are not a part of the fossil that this is a a conglomerate a hodgepodge chimera whatever of multiple specimens smushed together curry sends it to his preparator kevin allenbach 
And Allenbach concludes, uh, it was a composite specimen of at least three specimens with a maximum of five separate specimens. Huh. Uh, the, the Cherkesses deny this. They are very angry. And they tell Allenbach to only report this to Curie. Curie did not inform National Geographic. August 13th, 1999, the team submitted a manuscript uh, called A New-Toothed Bird with Dromaeosaur-like Tail under the name of Stephen Cherkis's Curry and a few others. Uh, and they send it to the journal Nature in London. And they, you know, basically are saying this is, they're, like, they're still trying to say that this is uh, a legitimate new dinosaur. Um, and the Cherkis, again, has no formal paleontology training. Uh, he is just an enthusiast, and he runs this museum with his wife. Uh, they are just, just hobbyists, you know, and right. in the lobby of this museum. Hobby lobbyists. <laughs> <laughs> nah, there we, got yes. we got there. We got there. So they point out, they're like, yeah, okay, so we didn't have one of the legs. But other than that, uh, you know, these are... Uh, they're saying this is all legit still the problem is nature rejects it uh mm. they say uh they did not give them enough time for peer review because they're like we need this peer reviewed and we need it published immediately because national geographic is not going to delay the publication so they submit it to uh science instead for peer review Two reviewers informed science that the specimen was, quote-unquote, smuggled out of China and illegally purchased, and that the fossil had been doctored to enhance its value. Science rejected the paper. Uh, the Cherkesses at this point have still not told National Geographic about this. Whoa. So, by November, uh, National Geographic is ready to publish. Archaeoraptor has never been published in a peer-reviewed journal at that point. God. And National Geographic publishes it. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, my God. Oh. Uh, unveiled at a press conference in October 15th, 1999. Oh, that's a few days. That's a, like a week after my birthday. Um, <laughs> and the November 1999 National Geographic has an article uh, by Christopher P. Sloan. Um, and Sloan describes it as the missing link that helps um, illustrate the connection between dinosaurs and birds. Uh, hmm. Yep, it will be put on, dis and they say it will be put on display at the National Geographic Society in D.C. Uh, before it is returned to China. So, oh my God. Uh, pretty quickly, uh, I mean, the media has a great time with this because this is, this is you know, it's great pop science. Right. Lots of problems, though. The scientific community pretty quickly recognizes this for what it is. Right. And uh, Storrs Olson, the curator of birds at the National Museum, of, uh, the, the National Museum of Natural History of the Smithsonian, publishes an open letter, you know, basically pointing out how bogus all of this is. One, he says, we know this was an illegal specimen that you're working on and that it's deliberately misleading. Um, mm. what you're doing um and that you know because i don't think that there's anyone here that anyone of and no one in the backlash is going to say this is fraudulent because dinosaurs are not in any way related to birds they're very 
irritated that something fraudulent is being used uh, for that argument because when you have something like this, and, and, you know, someone who's anti-science can point this out. It undermines everything in yeah. the science. You know, going yep. back to Colby's point mm-hmm. that, you know, if you if you sh- are showing, like, the money and the interest that is involved in this, you are ruining the sanctity of the science and showing the other uh, things that are at play here. And uh, basically, by t- by two th- early two thousand February two thousand National Geographic says it might be a composite. They had an internal investigation by March. They've kind of uh, realized that this is a composite. That it's made of real fossils, but it is made of multiple species. <laughs> the Cherkesses <laughs> told a group of paleontologists in two thousand and four he made a quote unquote. An idiot bone stupid mistake. Wow. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> uh, nice edge. Yeah. Uh, and in June, uh, National Geographic publishes the results of their investigation. Um, interestingly, uh, there were a couple of good things to come out. Uh, the uh, This is before Microraptor was uh described microraptor would not be described until december of 2000 in nature and part of what um actually helped them discover that this was a a hoax was there was um i'm uh blanking on his name but the uh paleontologist that described microraptor recognized the tail on archaeoraptor Mm. um as the tail of microraptor and you know basically could later point out that oh this is another specimen the top half was uh i believe identified um as an already existing genus uh jan ornus a uh, fish-eating prehistoric bird so uh the 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 problem is i i think the um the dinosaur museum has kind of you know tried to hold on to any notoriety this has had um they've you know continued publishing uh in 2002 uh they publish a book uh feathered dinosaurs and the origin of flight uh in this journal they described several species of the six five are disputed Mm. um it's it's kind of been a bit of a black mark on you know how excited people get about it and of course this scan this scandal uh creationists love it yeah it's very unfortunate uh that they really want to cast doubt on this uh it also it prevents the name archaeoraptor from ever really being uh used as a uh as a as a proper genus uh that you know, this is, there's some question as to how deliberate this was. People want to compare it to the Piltdown Man, a uh, Piltdown Man, but um, it's it's just a mess, uh, yeah. top to bottom, from a political standpoint, uh, but uh, from, you know, these, these uh, fossils being smuggled out of China illegally, you know, it's, it does not look good from any angle, but no. I think it's an interesting story uh yeah yeah. (laughs) oh my god and and, you know there's there's a lot of stories kind of like that they can kind of go both ways 
Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I don't know if you've ever heard of Irritator. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Irritator uh, was, you know, this group of paleontologists, they bought a skull of what they thought was a new type of pterosaur uh, from a fossil dealer. Uh, they get it back to the lab. They realize half the skull is like made out of clay. Uh, and so they start taking it apart. Oh, and no. They realize it's the skull of a undescribed spinosaur. So wow, they I didn't know up, that about Irritator. Yeah, yeah, and they end up naming it Irritator because the head scientist got so frustrated trying to describe <laughs> this pterosaur that wasn't a pterosaur. Uh, and then they also named it Irritator Challenger Eye. Uh, because of Dr. Challenger from uh, The Lost World. So, huh. Yeah, look Fun. at that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, well, there, there's also the whole, I don't even know if we have time to get into the Apatosaurus-Brontosaurus <laughs> problem. Yeah. Um, I mean, because it, it's so difficult because you're not even sure what, which one's the Apatosaurus anymore. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, Joe, are you familiar at all with the Brontosaurus drama? Not really, no. <laughs> but I, I assume you've heard of a Brontosaurus. Yes, correct. Okay, have you heard of an Apatosaurus? Uh, I don't think so, I'm going to be honest. Okay, so Apatosaurus means deceptive lizard, which might Ooh. show you something fishy is going on. Um, during <laughs> the Bone Wars, was it Marsh? Yeah, Marsh finds... Um, a you know they're trying to name as many species as they can and marsh finds a skeleton that does not have a skull on it of a sauropod dinosaur a long-necked dinosaur um and basically from the story that i was told years and years ago finds another skull puts it on it and says this is brontosaurus now Uh um and that was kind of brontosaurus was it had such a catchy marketable name that the uh uh you know it caught on in pop pop culture very quickly even though apatosaurus was discovered first brontosaurus you know thunder lizard it was yeah. it was very uh very popular um but pretty quickly it was recognized that it had the exact same skeleton as apatosaurus and that the skull was a fabrication um so brontosaurus is for a long time considered an improper uh genus like it's not a real dinosaur but then fairly recently and colby correct me on this if i'm wrong like there is some evidence to suggest that marsh actually did find another dinosaur and name it brontosaurus and that might actually be the real brontosaurus yeah, I've heard so much wishy-washy, like, back and forth with this. I, I haven't read uh, any papers on it, so I can't speak for certain. But yeah. uh, from from what I understand, uh, yeah, there is evidence that there was Anapatosaurus. There's evidence for Brontosaurus, obviously, uh, for a while. I forget which one didn't exist. They kind of merged them together. <laughs> but uh, now, now I've also heard, you know, they might both be brontosaurus, just different species, or they might both be apatosaurus, different species, and it all just comes mm-hmm. down to naming and all this boring junk that no one who, you know, <laughs> is close to it even cares about. Yeah. You're really getting into the weeds of it, I think. I think more people are still 
more people are still invested in the Tarasaurus Triceratops thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. At least, but we don't have to get into that. That's that's, that's drama for another day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's another hour-long conversation. <laughs> yeah. Extra gossip. Yeah. Oh my yeah, God. yeah. Well, I, I mean, with 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 all of this, I mean, it's it's good to keep kind of thinking like where these things mm-hmm. come from when we see them in museums, when we see publications in them. I am glad that the scientific community and the archaeological community, you know, is pretty outspoken about the problems of this. Yes. Um, and that they do try to write it, write the ship a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is it is a it is a more widespread problem than I think anyone wants to admit as far as, you know, um where these are coming from, whether they're uh, you know, smuggled out of uh smuggled out of countries by, you know, people trying to make a buck or, you know, people trying to get a sensational story going. You know, it's it's sort mm. of the unfortunate, unholy marriage of money and paleontology yeah yep yep and uh yeah i guess that's unfortunately how it has to be you know in order to have funding you know you kind of have to to play up on the fact that you know it has to be exciting you know you can't just be like oh yeah we sent a bunch of nerds we don't like out into the desert to bring us back (laughs) cool looking rocks (laughs) well they well they can think that but they can't say it right right right. (laughs) yeah well you know even um because part of if your paleontological literacy begins and ends with Jurassic Park, mm. you know, you see this a lot with one example. It might have been Scott who brought this up, but um, like one time there, there was an article they were trying to publish about a new theropod that they discovered. And they said, what's the tagline? And they're like, um, it has more teeth than T-Rex. And they publish it as like new dinosaur has more teeth than T Rex, and it's like, well, yeah, T Rex's teeth are so big; it doesn't have very many teeth. And most <laughs> right. theropod dinosaurs have more teeth than T Rex. Right. It's like it's not not true. It's catchy. It's cool. Yeah. It's hip. That's it's yeah. like uh, I don't know. Taylor Swift outlives Kurt Cobain. Yeah. Oh, too soon. that had already happened at this point in the story um yeah it does seem that way though that it has to be it has to be catchy and kind of cool and there's to be mm, i don't know i guess like a public viewpoint around it that's easier to understand i mean i guess like i'm coming from a position on on some of this drama not knowing any of it but kind mm-hmm. of hearing the things that are saying, and it's it's interesting to hear. I think the nuance of the conversation and the more specifics and other things that are happening behind the scenes. Where I think, from my perspective, I would have been the person reading the National Geographic article and being like, "This is pretty cool. All right, finally," and then believing it. <laughs> it's about so, time. It's about time we found that link. <laughs> you know, it's been a while yeah. since Breath of the Wild came out. It's been you know, right? Links missing. That's what I gathered. <laughs> that's gonna go right over everybody's heads but yeah. uh, that's great <laughs> best joke best joke of the podcast <laughs> but i i think like to me it opens up a lot of questions about um the legitimacy of a lot of different things 
and also mm, how much maybe does go undiscovered or how much is actually uh truthfully there but not getting too caught up in a conspiracy aspect of it either because then i feel like if i you know if i'm sitting here and questioning all these things and being like well these scandals happened well then maybe all these artifacts are this and all these artifacts are bad and, and stolen and taken which mm, mm -hmm. you know then i feel like you can also eventually end up contributing to sort of that yeah a, a flat earth society yeah level exactly of denial of yeah. everything yeah which i think is also dangerous because you don't mm -hmm. want to be the reverse where you end up coming full circle back to sort of funding a more creationist ideology or who knows what else could come out where there's more of a you know dinosaurs actually still exist somewhere or maybe they don't and yeah you know i feel yeah, like a mo a mo thing i mean yeah. or to, to be like Ooh. an ex-friend of joe and i's uh that I don't think would ever listen to this, but to quote her, geology is just a construct. Uh, oh <laughs> my god. Colby art school is awful. Yeah, can confirm. <laughs> Yikes, man. Well, but we get that too. I mean, like I went yeah, to yeah. geology field camp and there was a girl there who was creationist studying what? billion year old rocks. Yeah. Now, how does that one work out? I don't know. I did not talk to her. Everyone said she was friendly. I'm like, great. She can be as friendly as she wants. But, uh, you know, why the hell would you be here yeah. for any other reason than to try and disprove it? And therefore, I'm not going to talk to you. Yeah, That's it's valid, like, you yeah. know, it's like people like they're a homophobe, but they're so nice. You know, it's like, well, then they're not that nice. Yeah, <laughs> right? clearly. Um, I yeah, I yeah, that's such a. Uh, you know someone i was talking to was very curious about going to the glendive dinosaur museum the creationist one and, oh no uh, mm. and seeing what it would be like to go on one of their digs you know huh just, oh they have as, digs yeah you can sign up for their digs and just go oh. out in the field with them jesus they probably have some arrangement with some rancher they can go out in there but that you know that's that's so damaging because on the one hand you're like this was part you know this was part of our thing because i think if i remember correctly one of the times that we drove past it we were like shouldn't we just go in and see what it's about but then we <laughs> found out you had to pay to get in and we're uh, like we don't want to give these people money yeah. yeah talk about freaking gatekeeping in the scientific community like, <laughs> literally everything behind pay. a paywall yeah God. <laughs> these elitist creationist scientists I don't understand. Oh Man, my I mean, God. can you just imagine like being out in the field with them and like you're brushing off something and you're like, oh my God, it's a bone. And then you finish brushing it off. And you're like, oh man, it's just another crucifix. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, terrible. like, I wonder, like, uh. like, is that what I'm, I'm going to say this completely ignorantly. Um, uh, Correct me if I'm wrong. Is that what like archaeology is like? If you like go to Brigham Young, you know, like, <laughs> like where you're like ah, you're you're digging up Native American artifacts, and you're like ah, yes, the ancient Jews. Yes, yes, just like <laughs> Joseph Smith used to do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, you you say grave robber, I say um, cult uh, leader, am amateur archaeologist. Yeah. Okay, and, and cult leader. <laughs> and a cult yeah oh my god what a fun drama filled discussion i have to say the gossip yeah is, the tea is always hot here 
oh, yes. at the gossip lounge. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. I think we attacked everyone in mainstream science and in mainstream religion and at Hobby Lobby all in one episode. I'd call that a success. Definitely. I agree. Yeah. Um. Wow. I mean, Colby, it has been really, really fun to have you pay us a visit at the Uncanny mm-hmm. County Museum. Absolutely. Um, and uh, yeah, I if you uh, don't recognize uh, Colby from the ads, Colby is one of the hosts of Forced Football Facts, a very funny mm-hmm. podcast that I will even endorse as someone who... Uh, you know, like Colby's uh, friend Tyrell in the show, knows nothing about football, and yet I find it entertaining. So uh, I would give it a very hearty recommendation. Well, thank you. And I would just like to say, even if I had to pay, I would still love to be at the Uncanny County Museum with the two of you. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. We really appreciate it. And if you ever want to try to explain football to us, maybe we'll pay you a visit over there. Oh, yeah. yeah. Always up yeah. for that. Well, we'll come over and we'll start talking about so- the one soccer game we went to in Italy and where we watched a bunch <laughs> of children. Where we watched a bunch of we watched a bunch of children from uh, Florence flip off uh, other children from Milan. Yeah. What an experience. <laughs> oh, Beautiful. my gosh. Um, yeah. Where yeah. can they find your um, podcast? If you want to plug it, feel free to. Yeah. We, uh, we are on Spotify, iTunes, Google, any podcast app. And if you really want to get into the nitty gritty, uh, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or go to our website, forcefootballfacts.com. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Awesome. Fantastic. Um, yeah. And from the, for the Uncanny County Museum, if you'd like to visit the museum after hours, you can find us on Twitter at Uncanny Museum. You can find me, Zan Peters, at Xanasaurus on Instagram. And you can find me, Josemino, at at JosemiNoArt on Instagram. And uh, again, thank you again to our guest, Colby mm-hmm. White. Uh, best of luck uh, hunting Predator X up there in Norway. <laughs> thank you very much. I will yeah, do my best. That's, that's, a, that's another paleontology dig for those in the know. Ooh. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, to the loo. Bye. Bye.